Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. You okay, buddy? That wasn't me. No. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. What time is it, Mark? Do you have any idea? <laughs> oh my gosh, you're never going to forget this. No, I'm not. Once a year, I give the wrong time, and Joe was listening today when it happened at 6.59. It was, you said it was 5.59. I know. Well, it was 6.59. I was ready to go back to bed grab another hour of sleep. Are you happy now? <laughs> now I'm happy that you finally admitted your error. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. I think you heard wrong. I think you misheard. No, you listen to the, the uh, what do you call it, the air check reel? You, re- you Republicans hear what you want to. So, All right, so <laughs> go ahead. Come back. No, I'm being polite today. I'm... I'm hoping you'll nominate me for that Be Kind Award. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's try Fat chance, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, I don't see that happening. Okay. You're not uh, you're not creating the situation that Dog leads to that. It. I thought you All would. right. So, uh, welcome on board. That is Joe McGranahan. His goal is to serve as an impediment to my progress on this uh, show. <laughs> He's a conservative mayor of Shamokin Dam. He's been on all kinds of Pima and FEMA and uh, PAB stuff in the past. He's still helping to scrutinize judicial candidates. A natural-born listener. He always hears people out before he dismisses their opinions. And so, we appreciate him coming in. Uh, nope, scratch that. Lynn Hulls on the other side of the glass. Fabulous producer, so she's ready to staff the phones. And I'm so glad to say we have a great guest here. What's your son's first name? Uh, Jacob. Jacob Rosu's son, uh, father is back. <laughs> he is uh, Matt Rosu, professor of economics at Susquehanna University, dean of the Sigmund Wise School of Business. And, of course, you have great kids over there. I only know your son, Jacob, but who who are the other kids? Uh, two daughters, Allison and Nova. All right. Well, fantastic. I just think uh, we've heard all about them, and uh, I see their name popping up uh, in uh, different things from the school district, saying they're superlative students. Mm. and they, 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 they make me proud. All right. So, but Matt Rosu is uh, helping to raise him up over there. Professor of economics at Susquehanna University taught us that uh, how poker uh, helps. Um, well, actually, poker was just something you did for a hobby. It was Broadway musicals and entertainment and songs. Yeah, I get easily distracted. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is. Did somebody, you bring the deck, Matt? <laughs> I did not bring a deck. This is the advantage of unmedicated ADHD, yeah. right? This yeah. is what happens as an adult. So, yeah, you taught us about uh, poker was your hobby and maybe still is and then um, that uh, Broadway and musical yeah, and yeah. entertainment are great illustrations for economic principles yes. what's the greatest example of uh, some form of entertainment that creates an economic principle illustration for you uh, greatest is tough uh, but I'll go with uh, a current one that's airing now for anybody HBO has a new TV show called The Last of Us and hmm. it is it's their new hit series it's based on a video game and there's some really interesting examples. It's like a post-apocalyptic world where there's a fungus that has turned a lot of people into zombies. But the currency system breaks down, so there you see how what happens if a currency system breaks down and there's ration cards and bartering. You see gains from trade through the bartering and individuals who seem rich 
do not wish to trade, uh, or but then end up gaining from trade. Wow. And uh, just yesterday, there were uh, two nights ago on the episode, there was uh, example in a in a commune where there, and then they literally said, "So you're communists?" Like, no, no, but there's 300 of us together that are <laughs> sharing everything. And I'm like, well, yeah, that literally means you're a communist. That's right. <laughs> a lot of a lot of pretty interesting economic examples in the show. So. I'm curious about you know from your standpoint and the, the kids that you teach, what is the impression you're getting about the economy from people? You know, and then from your perspective as somebody who deals with it every day, what do you how do you how do you balance that out with what you feel is actually happening? Yeah, I think on average everybody's always a little bit more pessimistic about the economy than what's what's actually happening, which certainly mm-hmm. doesn't mean things are good. But you know, in good times that tends to happen. In bad times that tends to happen. Overall, I mean there's there's some good news on the economy, but there's certainly a number of signs that are concerning. What worries you most? Well, in, inflation has, has been bad, right? It's the first time basically dealing with inflation for anybody who's, what, 50 or younger? Wouldn't remember inflation rates, essentially, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. they were died down in the early, very early 80s, then they've been gone since then. Year-over-year inflation, still 6%. It was higher before, and wages aren't keeping up with that, or they haven't kept up with that. Hope that turns around, but when that happens, when wages do not keep up with inflation, it means the average worker is poorer, and that's what that's what's happened in the last year and a half. And so... Uh Are we always pessimistic about everything all the time then? Inflation is feeding that. You know, if if you ask me to name 20 things that are going well with the economy... I could list them. Sure, all right. sure, yeah. But but all you know, all, we only th- maybe it's just our human nature to accentuate the negative. I, uh, that could be, and uh, but uh, even if you came on three years ago, two years ago, when uh, well, I could argue right before COVID, one could make the argument that was the best economy in American history. You could argue that. And there were a lot of signs. Unemployment rates were very low. Inflation was low. There would be plenty of folks coming on, though, saying, well, what about the debt? The debt's been higher. What about and the deficits? What about in- income inequality? Uh, should we do more about that? Right? There, there were still plenty of folks who I'd say were a little bit more pessimistic than normal then. Uh, now things are a little bit worse. Things to worry about. There's inflation. Uh, the job market participation rate took a massive drop once COVID hit, and it really hasn't rebounded. And that seems concerning. The There was a lot of spending, a lot of spending during COVID, which added dramatically to the debt. And, and it's the debt's a weird one, because every time a president's in office of one party, that party never talks about it and then the other party talks about it <laughs> and, and that's just going to flip and it's a sad I think that's a sad reality right now Republicans are more focused on the debt if Republicans win in 2024 I bet it's going to be Democrats that are more focused on the debt and the last time I can remember a politician suggesting that you roll up your sleeves and do something for the good of the country it was Jack Kennedy during his inaugural address I haven't heard anybody since saying let's tighten our belts and let's get rid of, the, of this debt and let's suffer um, we, we just don't hear anybody getting elected on that basis. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, and if you look at the options, it's not necessarily easy to figure out what to do to reduce it. It would probably require 
uh, some combination of entitlement reductions. So Social Security, like not probably not reducing the actual amount, but lower cost of living increases. Um, it would require lower government spending overall. Probably require lower military spending, and probably require and might require higher taxes too. But what's the alternative, Matt? We can't keep borrowing and yep. borrowing forever, can we? At what point do we implode? We like to kick the can down the road. Yeah. Is, is that an actual <laughs> economic principle? So the I think a key thing is if can you get the deficit down to zero, and then you. Start still have the debt. Because if you can get the deficits even eventually and hmm. roll with even deficits, and then if the economy grows, the debt is less and less concerning each year. If if GDP keeps growing, say, inflation-adjusted rate 2% per year, and you have a fixed level of debt, and it's not going up, well, 20, 50, 100 years from now, that debt is far less important because, you know, hmm. the debt would be the same amount nominally, but the impact on on the budget is way less because everybody's so much wealthier. I, I would think if you're looking to control, I wouldn't look to actually reduce the debt at this point, but I would look to try to get deficits down to zero so you're not adding to the debt year over year, and then hopefully with economic growth, the debt becomes much less trivial. But how do politicians get elected without promising to do more for you? Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's that's the trick, right? I mean, more roads. And, you know, I mentioned a key way, and most economists think if, you know, there's if you look at the spending on on and you know entitlement spending is a big portion well who's who's the number one voting block it's it's older, older individuals <laughs> who are getting social security and that doesn't seem like a a very way good way to get elected and that's there's a whole branch in economics called public choice theory which really looks at a lot of these very tough issues it looks at politicians from the cynical lens of they're not looking out for the best interest of society, they're looking for the best interest to get reelected. And that's really cynical, because I do think most politicians do, of course, have some interest in, in helping society. <laughs> but but there is, I mean, I think we could also all re recognize, they want to they want to get reelected. And and there's, there's, you know, public choice theory, though, will kind of go with the assumption that the, the goal is to get reelected. Well, we used to have Professor Stamos here from Bucknell University when he was still teaching, and he would say the debt and deficit doesn't matter. You know, it just doesn't count. By the time we pay it back, our dollar will be worth so much more that it isn't going to really matter, and that the, the advantages of the borrowing were greater because we got to spend the money now, you know, just like a household. You know, you get to have the new car now, that kind of thing. Well, <laughs> earlier we talked about pessimism versus optimism, and w maybe more so than in some other fields, pessimism matters. Right, it can slow us down. It can reduce my. Uh, uh, we learned that in the oil fields when we when we found out that all the numbers added up that gas prices shouldn't be nearly as high as they were. One of the things we found out was fear was helping to drive it. So tell me about this this impact that the ant intangible pessimism. Well, yeah, if people are less op optimistic about the the economy. They may they may go spend a little bit less. If firms are less optimistic about the outlook of the economy, they might be more hesitant to make investments that could expand their businesses, could help with efficiency, and could really help the economy grow. I think that, that's a couple of the big worries 
about a about a pessimistic outcome on the economy. So. But what about the political impact of this stuff? For example, right now we're we're facing default by July if they don't do something, uh, and inevitably they're going to try and find some way to kick the can down the road. But you know the debt ceiling. Uh, it, it seems to me like a ridiculous dog chasing its tail routine. Why not just get rid of it if that's the case? And is there a benefit to it from your standpoint, or is it is it just all smoke and mirrors? It's a good question, and admittedly, I don't think I've studied the politics behind the benefits or costs of the debt ceiling as much. The costs of it seem somewhat obvious in terms of there's this argument all the time uh, about what happens and what would indeed happen if we default and what goes on there. What could be the benefits of this? Uh, there's If you could leverage this to try to decrease... Uh, the amount of deficit spending, you could argue that that's a benefit. If you if you could leverage these arguments and make a credible threat that we won't increase that, that unless you come to some concessions on spending, taxes and spending, that could be a threat. Um, the That might be one of the bigger ones. But it's like a kabuki dance. I mean, obviously, Congress at one point felt that we need to put a cap on the amount of money we borrow. And then they just play this game where they keep yeah. raising it and raising it and raising it. What's the point of it? Well, so I, I guess if I would, an interesting question is to ask, what might our debt be like if we didn't have it? I mean, we have this, and we have these arguments over the debt that do come mm-hmm. up reasonably often could make a pretty good argument that by having this and by having these arguments, it does highlight the debt. And if we didn't have it, maybe maybe it would even be worse. Um, I mean, it's 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 an interesting question, and we won't know. We don't get to rewind the clock, and you know, I've, I've oh, done experiments for a lot of my research, and how fun would it be to just rewind the clock and then right. do it without that and see what happened? But uh, <laughs> we don't have the benefit of of doing that with our. Concepts. Yeah, you do experiments where you, you, you reset all the parameters and then yep. inject something else. Explain that to our audience. I just think sure, that's interesting. Sure, So a recent one we did was a couple years ago, or about a year and a half ago, we brought in Susquehanna students who hadn't received their flu vaccine in the, with the flu drive. Uh, we put out a call. They came into a session. And we actually ran an auction to see how much they would need to be paid to to get the flu shot. It's it's an estimate of um, you know it's 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 not really a willingness to pay, right? If you hold up an item, um, you know, I've got my iPhone here for notes. So if you hold up a, you know, if you sell an iPhone, people would be willing to pay for that. Well, in terms of a flu shot, some people are willing to pay to get one, but then others, they don't want one. Um, you know, only I think it's 45 or so percent of the population right now has the, gotten the flu vaccine this year of, of adults. So 55% haven't, and despite the fact that for many people this is free, uh, free monetarily. So why didn't they get it? Well, there's some people who are very stringently uh, against vaccines. They're hesitant to get that. What we found with this is of uh, half of the people would get it for free. Like they're, they're fine getting it. They just haven't gotten it yet. Uh, the other half said, I wouldn't get it for free. But most of those who wouldn't get it for free, it wasn't... Uh, it was they they'd be willing to get it for twenty dollars or less. So it's it's not that they have these very very strong um, 
views against vaccines. It's it's an inconvenience and it's not it's a hassle and it's you know it's not fun to have somebody jab you in the arm, right? I mean, then maybe the arm will be sore for a couple days and they just they didn't want to deal with it, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And then there was a small subset who needed a lot of money. They, they didn't want to get that. And, and they would be, you know, they you know, the people who are most vaccine resistant. And that, that somewhat makes sense with what you see in the world. No amount of money would make them get it. What about the COVID vaccine? Did you run the same test? We would have loved to. <laughs> okay. But um, we weren't able to get the access to the vaccines to be able to do that. Our initial idea on that was how cool would it be to, to estimate on that. But I think a lot of the same principles apply. If you think about if you think about COVID with the initial wave of the vaccines, I think of something about three-fourths of Americans got the first have gotten one, at yep. least one dose. Um, a very small percentage have gotten the most recent booster. So there's a there's a huge portion of the population that, you know, it's tough to label them as anti-vaxxers or vaccine deniers or whatever derogatory term is they've gotten one, but they don't think the benefit of the most recent vaccine exceeds the cost of the most recent. So what are some things economics could indicate on that? Well, if if getting those is really beneficial to the economy or to public health, Maybe firms would want to give a, a paid day off to get that or some small incentive if you go ahead and, and get that. Because for most people, clearly it's not this real resistance to the COVID vaccine. It's, I've gotten one. I think there's some protection there. I could get another one, but I know I'm going to get sick for a day <laughs> if I get another one. And most people who get COVID now, it doesn't seem that terrible. I'll just take my chances. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm hypothesizing, but there's a huge portion that that, that explanation makes a lot of sense. Looking at the international scene, um, President Putin today, in a rather long harangue to his parliament, his State of the Soviet Union address, or whatever you want to call it, said that despite all of our sanctions and all the things that we did to slow their economy down, their economy actually only shrank by 2%. Um, you know, how did we fare during the pandemic compared to that? I, I think we're still seeing the effects. I mean, you can't shut down the economy and not not have an impact. What we ended up doing is flooding the economy with money. And over the past two years, we've seen, we saw a massive drop initially in GDP and then it came back. I still think we're seeing a little bit of the impact of this with all of the money and the fact that wages have dropped, right? The Mm -hmm. average Americans work, you know, the average American workers' wages were lower last year, and they're still lower. I'm look, looking it up before. Year to year, it looks like wages increased on a nominal basis by about 5%, but inflation was 6%. And some people would say, okay, we didn't have a, we're not in a recession. I've, I could argue that that last year when inflation-adjusted wages dropped, that that was a, re- a recession. It was just, it manifested itself in a different way. Instead of a higher unemployment rate, everybody just got poorer. Uh, at least workers got poorer. Well, two quarters of negative growth used to be the indicator, didn't yep. it? And that's and we did have that. Um, yeah, it was a key indicator. I actually had to go back to my notes from econ, to, because there was the whole debate on that. And indeed, in my notes, it didn't say two quarters is the definitive. You know, it's more of, it's prolonged um, it's an negative downturn. But every time we'd had two quarters of negative GDP growth, it had been classified as a recession. Of course, every other time, we'd also seen a spike in unemployment rates, 
which so it made it a little bit weird um, in terms of what I you know if you want to call it the recession of 2022. Well, if if you look at where you say you do go back and try and reset the scale, if you reset the scale to before the pandemic and the pandemic never occurred, where would where do you think we'd be today? Further ahead or oh, where I think we are? well, absolutely. I, I would think we'd be further ahead. Now, there's some. Some things we've gained. I think we, you know, the the jump start on work from home and virtual conferencing gave everybody a lot of skills much more quickly than would have happened otherwise. So I think that was kind of a key work benefit that happened. And we're still figuring that out. But no, I, I think there would not have been, I mean, you would have had more people working. I can't imagine we would have had the drop in the labor force. So you have more individuals working. If you have more individuals working, you have more produced. Society just has more. And then how is that all spread out across society is, is you know, the next question. But it's it's tough to fathom that we wouldn't have been better off economically. We're going to take a quick break. Joe has two more questions, (laughs) and we would invite our audience to ask some questions as well. You can call us at 570-743-9565. That's 570-743-9565. You can email us at onthemark at wkok.com and text us at 70236. Professor Rosu from Susquehanna University is uh, with us, and just uh, how real classroom sort of textbook economics really applies to our world, how attitudes impact things, and how they do experimental auctions to see what we'll tolerate. As the old adage, uh, now we know what you are, we just quibble over the price. He's done that, so we're going to talk about the, I mean, about smoking and lung disease and all kinds <laughs> of other things. I should be clear there. Yeah, I'm going to get you in trouble with Amanda, who we also are glad to say is your lovely bride. So yeah, Amanda's husband is here, Professor Rosu from Susquehanna University. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could chop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Welcome back to WKOK's live telephone talk show on the mark. Call us now, 570-743-9565, if you have a question for our guest. Yeah, uh, we were talking, Matt, and you mentioned that the, um, you know, that we could arguably say that we had a really good economy before the pandemic started. And, of course, that was roughly the Trump administration was the end of that period and the start of the, the uh, uh, COVID <laughs> scare in this yeah. country. But, you know, let's take pres- presidents going from, let's say, a Donald Trump's philosophy to a Joe Biden's philosophy. What impact would that have on the economy if everything were left untouched as far as the pandemic went? Yeah, and I mean, the question, I guess, is the big question is what has Biden done that's been that different? The There was the massive stimulus bill when the unemployment rate was already pretty low. And most economists would, would have argued that that's not appropriate. That if you're, that you look to inject 
spending or cut taxes to boost the economy when you have higher unemployment rates. That's the general. That's the general law. You know, that's the general. Goes back to Keynesian economics, and in. You know, after Biden was first elected a couple years ago, put in a massive, like the third COVID stimulus. The first one, I think a lot of economists were behind because, okay, there was this massive drop. You know, people stopped working. The first COVID stimulus under Trump, I think a lot of economists were behind. The second one is a little bit more suspect, and that was still under Trump. The third one, like, what are you doing, people? Uh, That way, I mean, so there's that. The other uh, other question, uh, Biden's been pretty hostile to uh, fossil fuels and energy. So, you know, if if you're going to make it so people who would produce oil and gas feel like they're threatened and don't want to invest, then one shouldn't be surprised if you see a spike in in gasoline prices or energy prices. So th- those are a couple things where I think the economically we've been we've been impacted. All right, we have a question from a caller. Bill from Bloomsburg, thanks for calling in. Professor Rosu can hear you. Hey, how you doing, Matt? Uh, doing well, Your thanks. Honor, Mark. Hey, uh, Mark, earlier in the program, you said you could name 20 great things that uh, Biden has done in this economy. Uh, I'd like you to name 10. <laughs> oh, 20 good things about the economy, not specifically Biden, but things that are doing... Well, it, it, it all ties in together. I mean... Uh, no, no, uh, no actually, fire. not true. But that's not a question. You have a professor question. I'll answer your questions a little bit later on in the all show. Right. Uh, Matt, here, here you go. How... If uh, Trump was still in office and he 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 uh, had NATO paying their share and everything and, and, and America first, how much further would he, we we have we would be compared to this uh, guy that should be in jail? Okay. I don't know. All right, we got you, Bill. Thank yeah. you. The, so the differences between Trump and by I. It's a good question. I don't know what what Trump might have done different. He pushed through two stimulus packages. Uh, Would he have gone for a third? That I don't know. I I really think that was uh, a a big start, a kickstart to a lot of the inflation issues we had, the massive amounts of government spending, currency uh, changes. I don't think he would have been as hostile to energy policy, so I don't think gas prices would have spiked as much. That's Uh, high. Those are a couple of things that I that I think would have been different. And one of our listeners says, it always amazes... Oh, can you stay? Yeah, yeah oh, I good, thank you. We only have yeah. about six more questions. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Matt Rosu is here, so we'll take some questions from the phone, too, uh, since he's staying. Uh, we're glad to say that Allison and Nova's dad is here, Professor Matt Rosu of Susquehanna University, Professor of Economics and Dean of the Sigmund Weiss School of Business, getting some common sense answers from a conservative professor. So we'll talk about that when we come back. This is WKOK Sunbury. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show, On the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe's across from me. Lynn Hall's our fabulous producer. I'm Mark Lawrence. Our guest is Professor Matt Rosu of Susquehanna University. He's a professor of economics. So we'll go to the caller who called. Uh, Steve has agreed to stay for another 10, 15 minutes. So. No, Steve's on the line. Matt's agreed to stay for another 10 or 15 minutes. What he said. <laughs> uh, Steve, you're on the line. Thanks for calling in. You, you have a question for our good guest. From New Jersey. Yeah, well, actually, um, I can't, I called for open, but I, I, I am interested in this economic thing. Is, 
What really defines a recession? I mean, you hear everything. Are we in one now? Are we on a rebound? Okay, you heard your question. Yeah, that's, thank you. Uh, it's a great question that's way more complex, unfortunately, than I'd like it to be. Really, what defines it is uh, is the board that states whether or not we're in a recession. L- like, literally, that's what defines whether we're in a recession, if the, you know, if the government says we are or not. <laughs> Traditionally, like, what do you look for? I mean, it's been two, two consecutive quarters of GDP growth had always been the metric. Of course, when we'd had that metric, of course, it had always corresponded to a higher unemployment rate. Um, I, if you ask me to side on did we have a recession in 2022, I would I, I I would lean yes that we had one, because while unemployment didn't fall, the GDP fell, and worker wages dropped. The average amount wages in if inflation adjusted wages dropped. So I would argue we're in one, uh, or we had one. Are we going to have one upcoming where unemployment rates increase? That's that's a big question people are wondering. Well, about. if what gets you into it, if two quarters of negative growth traditionally gets you into it, what gets you out of it? Two quarters of positive growth? Yeah, growing again, right? I mean, when the economy grows again. And it doesn't always take two quarters of negative growth to get that. So, uh, you know, the spring of 2020 was defined as a recession. There were not two quarters of negative growth. There was a massive, massive drop in economic output when the, when the world shut down, when the U.S. economy shut down for for a short period of time, and that decreased output. I mean, enormously, and that's that was classified as a recession, even though it wasn't two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Uh, so you can have it where it wasn't quite as much, but it, it's yeah. Macro is interesting in some ways. It's these weird nuances, and and in some ways doesn't matter or doesn't not matter. In some ways it doesn't matter. Like we've we've all the things we've experienced, we've experienced. But then there's the narrative on, you know, how good are things, and should I be reelected, and all of that. So all right, we have another caller on the line, Mike from Bloomsburg. You have a question for our guest. I do. My question is based on the fact that millions of people that don't speak English are coming across our border, and border protection resources are being directed to accommodate that, which is allowing more drugs to come in. So my question is this. What do you think the increased cost of supporting uh, the non-English speaking people and then the social cost of all these fentanyl uh, deaths that are occurring is going to have on inflation in the future? Okay, sir, your question. Thanks. All right, thank you. So I'm Crystal a little... Crystal ball, please. Yeah, so I, I don't know about what costs for enforce, border enforcement have been by any means. I'm generally more uh, pro-immigration and see the benefits. Um, and I could actually even argue some of the inflation we've seen in wage rates, especially on the lower end of wage rates, have been because there was a dramatic decrease in in foreign workers in the United States uh, for, for a short period of time, right? And you, it's kind of basic economics. You lower the supply of, of workers, you're going to increase the wages. Um, so overall, having more um, more workers in, especially if it's workers who can do a ta- who are happy to do a particular job and do it well for less than people um, you know Americans are willing to do, that would actually drive inflation downward, really? not uh, because it's you've got individuals doing it for less, drives prices down and not up. 
What about the cost of services, you know, for not just for these people, but let's take a look at uh, local local governments. You know, they've got to balance their budget. In Pennsylvania, municipalities are required to have a balanced budget. A state, I think, is required to have a balanced budget. But the federal government isn't. You know, how difficult would it be to get us to a balanced budget so that we could at least not keep increasing the debt and the deficit? At the federal level? Yeah. Fed, it, it would not, it's not going to be easy at the moment. It, it will require, it, there's, there's apps and games you can play to try to balance the budget, but it would probably require some pretty tough choices um, in terms of how much are we spending on the military, how much are we spending on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, what are, how much are we collecting in tax revenue. It, it would it would require some some tougher choice. I don't think it would be easy by any means. Um, One of our listeners says, "How is our current energy policy of the Biden administration affecting the overall economy?" So that's hmm, a complicated a question one. that would take yeah, far boy. longer than the. <laughs> that's a thirty-second answer well, I'm going to give. But one one key thing is anything you do to. Uh, decrease natural gas and oil and gasoline production should increase the prices for those products that will uh, that has a big impact right, uh, so actual decreases that has an impact but we had experts in energy call us and and they said actually pessimism or this restriction mentality has a negative impact too sure and if if you're a firm, you want to invest if you think you'll get a return on the investment. And if you are questioning whether there will be new regulations that will restrict your ability to earn mm-hmm. profits, you will be less likely to to engage in, you know, oil exploration, for example. We're running up against your time limit here, but one thing we did want to ask you is about who's coming in. Who are you bringing into Susquehanna? Oh, what yeah. programs are we looking at this no, year? No, thank you. Um, yeah, we've got a couple good speakers coming up later this semester. We have a lot of speakers throughout, but um, we've got David Brown, who's the host of the Business Wars podcast, coming to campus <laughs> on March 29th, and also author of the book, The Art of Business Wars. That's at Another s- conservative. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If, actually, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, um, I have a detail. Uh, 7 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, March 29th, and that's open to the public for anybody who'd like to to come to that. Should be a great talk. Um, that discussion will be on um, you know analyzing various business wars that have happened and the lessons that we can learn from them. And then uh, Mary Childs, who's uh, on Planet Money NPR show and author of The Bond King, is going to be coming to campus on Wednesday, April 19th for a 4:15 p.m. lecture. That's the same uh, night as uh, Yitzhak Perlman's coming oh. to campus, so um, we moved we moved um, Mary Childs to 4:15 because we didn't want the attendance at Yitzhak Perlman to drop dramatically because she was presenting opposite of him. So that was, but that's that's by joke that nobody's laughing at. But the um, sorry, but that's open to the public as well. 4:15, and she's going to be talking about uh, lessons in leadership. Fantastic. And I get a chance to speak to some of these folks from time to time, so thank you for continuing yeah, to arrange thank you that. For, thank you for hosting them. Yeah, a lot of these folks will be on WKOK Sunrise in the weeks ahead, or maybe on the mark. You never know. Never you know. might be a world-renowned economist in that seat <laughs> the next time you come back in here, We Joe. already have one. <laughs> uh, Steve, if you ask a quickie question, uh, you'll be the last comment of the day. Go right ahead. 
Okay, well, I was just on and I got hung up on. I was calling for something different. Oh, about, so, yeah. I was asking about the economy. You want to put me back on hold or finish? No, you yeah. can ask a brief question. Go right No, ahead. he said this one's not about the economy. I got you. Okay, stand by. Else. Yep, hold on, Steve. <laughs> thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for yeah, having thanks, me. Matt. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, really appreciate it. Always a blast to have you on board today, no exception. So, Professor Matt Rosu here. Now, uh, it is a blast to have Matt on. <laughs> <laughs> Economics professor. You just like it because his son's studying history. So. Right. I'm going <laughs> to recommend a book to him, <laughs> and he's going to recommend one to me. Dean of the Sigmund. <laughs> yeah, Joe's going to. Never mind. Dean of the Sigmund Wise School of Business. Thank you so much, sir, for coming in. Always uh, much appreciated. Thank you again. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6 30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the Mm. mm, out of auto repair. Welcome back to WKOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the mark. i got to do brief news headlines here, so I'll do those in a second. But Steve's been patiently waiting to ask another question. Yep. Good morning, sir. You're back on the mark. Yay, how you doing? It's good to listen again and be back on. I got my phone situation. I wanted to change carriers and phones, and I'm going to change carriers again, but never a number again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, this is about grammar, and I hear a commercial there, and there are words and phrases that they get bumped off the list annually is the, the most overused and incorrect, and the one that drives me crazy is on a commercial there. In forever. There's no such thing as in forever stands as a single word. The hell is in forever? Oh, I never heard I that. I don't one. know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I never heard that. <laughs> it's on a commercial they run there. Okay. In forever. Yeah. Well, we have 92 yeah. advertisers, so we'll listen carefully. We'll, well find what is, it out. In what context was it used? Put it in a sentence. Um. Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen you or I haven't seen my best friend in forever. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. just a little <laughs> verbal colloquialism. Okay, well, yeah, that's yep. <laughs> no, I've heard that. I've heard it. Well, well yeah, then mispronunciations. Uh, people, I can't stand. And people are educated. They speak correctly. They can write paragraphs and everything. They say supposedly. <laughs> well, they wouldn't write that, but they certainly do speak no. it. Well, you know, and you notice that, of course, it is now okay to end sentences in a preposition. It used to be illegal. was never uh, illegal. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, what's an example? Um, Where are you going to? You're right, too. Right. Going, going, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. What are you up to? That's no. true. I, I didn't think of that one. Oh, that's yeah, that's, that's all over. <laughs> Mine is punctuation. Right, People yeah. don't use enough punctuation. <laughs> Reflexive and, you pronouns. Know, I, I, a friend of mine, um, Bill out in San Francisco, says, uh, 
you know, I, I'm so upset with the, the, these kids coming up now, which are really good kids. They're good kids. They're smart. They got the internet. They have all these resources. They sit, and I've heard this on your show while quite a while back. People will sit in the same restaurant at the same table, and they won't even talk to each other. They'll text <laughs> to each other. And and and. and uh, uh, really, it's going to be like uh, Taylor at Heston in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> you know, in another 10, 20 years, we're going to have a society of people who are mute. They're not even going to be able to talk anymore. <laughs> I think you could be right. All right, well, thank yeah. you so much, Steve. Thanks for checking in. Good to hear from well, you. Well, I can identify with that. I sometimes take my 14-year-old grandson out to eat, and uh, I did that yesterday, and we were sitting there, and he was looking at his phone, so I texted him, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> what he how do he say what he say? <laughs> Fine, but I have to go out with my grandfather. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, I saw you introducing him to bridge work so he can start to understand some of the transportation. No, that's my youngest grandson. Oh, my oldest one. one's fourteen. All right. <laughs> All right, folks, on the mark is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Do please check them out at sunburymotors.com. Our line is now open. We had quite a few calls from Professor Rose who is here. You can contact us now, five seven oh seven four three nine five six five. Uh, that's 570-743-WKOK. We'd love to hear from you about some of the economic principles that he talked about, that uh, by definition we might be in a recession, but uh, so many things are still a-booming, so uh, it's hard to say that we really are. Some sort of a hybrid recession we're in right now. Uh, what's your view on that topic? We didn't get to wokeism on campus. We were going to do that. He is uh, a conservative professor, so, well, he's a conservative individual. I'm not sure that it bears out in class, but um, he certainly is a conservative individual. I consider individual. him to be very well balanced. But when, yeah, when we talk to him here. What, yeah. you think he does something differently in the classroom? No, I don't. I don't have any <laughs> idea what he does in the classroom. I'm assuming he's uh, nonpartisan, as most of our good economics professors right. are around here. But we talk about wokeism on campus. That seems to be a thing these days for you guys, so I thought maybe he can comment on that. But we'll do that next time. Uh, you can email us your comments, as four individuals have done, at onthemark at wkok.com, and you can text us at 70236, include the keyword OTM. Let's do our brief news headlines here. NorthCentralPA.com reporting police say an employee at Ritzcraft in Mifflinburg illegally sold stolen copper wire from that company, sold it on Facebook Marketplace. Jeff Wells of Beavertown facing a theft charge now. Republicans in Harrisburg saying no to repealing the state's death penalty law. Governor Josh Shapiro said last week he will not be signing any death warrants, and he asked the death penalty be abolished, but the GOP says not so fast. Uh, so far, the Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Lisa Baker says any decisions on this issue would require reason, balance, compromise, and consensus building from those who are opposed and those in favor of the death penalty. So not so fast. I think he would be and uh, may want to rethink that given the fact that the minute he announces that, there's that terrible shooting of a Temple police officer in Philadelphia. No. I, I think if you're opposed to the death penalty, it rises above incidents. Okay? It has to do with ideals and faith and whether it's a good idea or maybe just dollars and cents. It costs, you know, I don't know what the amount is, but X times more to execute somebody than it does to just incarcerate them. So, um, you know, you will have to ask Shapiro's people that question, but it goes far beyond an incident that happened on no, campus. No, I disagree. I think incidents okay. do drive it. Okay, gotcha. All because right. that's the whole idea behind it. Some people get the death penalty, some people don't, and it's based on the 
incident that occurred. All right. It's the ultimate punishment. No, I understand what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that an incident doesn't drive public policy. In other words, there wasn't a burglary in Sunbury, and so city council passes a burglary law. These laws are written to incidents in, do drive Incidents do drive public policy, okay. my man. Okay. They do. Right. That's why there is capital punishment at all. That's right. But that as we become, as we ne- learn more and do more, we throw away the archaic policies and develop more modern ones. That's what we're trying. That's what the Shapiro is trying to do. The more modern one is to right. Take if you want to exact be. the proper punishment for the crime. I got you. Okay, an eye for an eye. You're saying that's New Testament. I just missed it somewhere. No, I'm saying that you know you let the punishment fit the crime. Gotcha. Okay. You don't you don't give people the death penalty for selling marijuana on a street corner. Right. But somebody slaughters an entire family. Okay. For no good reason other than to take their property. So gambling's a terrible way to do revenue in Pennsylvania, but vengeance is a good way to guide public policy. It's not vengeance. It's retribution. An eye for an eye isn't vengeance. I didn't say an eye for I an think eye. It's I the said very definition of it. <laughs> All right, well, we'll do our death penalty conversation, which we've had on the air many, many, many times in the past. Joe's but been not recently. <laughs> Joe's been softening on the death penalty in recent years, but not really. Not so much today. <laughs> okay. All right. Pennsylvania's average gasoline prices continued to fall. For uh, they fell 3.9 cents in the last week, according to Gas Buddy. Spotlight PA reporting the Speaker of the State House is calling lawmakers back to Harrisburg to address one time. Topic and one topic only. What do they call him? One 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 note <laughs> uh, mark. They're going to call him Rizzo. He's, yeah. he's <laughs> Rozzy. Rozzy. I mean, that's a, a disaster in the making. Right. He wants to give childhood survivors of sexual abuse a chance to sue their perpetrators in court. Of course, there are some other issues in Pennsylvania, but Rozzy says no. When we return today, they'll swear in the new members, and we might agree on some rules, and then we'll start to address one topic and one topic only. And that's that special session. That so, he in other would words, like. after months of not working at all. They're going to do one thing. And, well, or nothing. He says there won't be anything. If it doesn't have to do with sexual abuse lawsuit extensions, he won't stand for it. Uh, We could make some history in Harrisburg in a couple of weeks. Pennsylvania State Senator Amanda Capaletti could become the first Pennsylvania State Senator who is pregnant to give birth while enjoying elected office in Harrisburg in the State Senate. There have been House women that have been uh, fortunately enough to grow their families. Uh, Let's see. Some national news from CBS. Uh, Looks like prosecutors may not have enough to convict Alex Baldwin for manslaughter, so they downgrade the charge against him. They drop the gun enhancement charge, which typically is used in robberies when someone flashes a pistol but no shots are fired. However, instead of facing a minimum of five years in prison if found guilty, Baldwin could get off with probation now. So we'd have to see how their law is actually written out there. They say they don't. They don't have the evidence to support uh, the uh, sort of premeditated element of the gun charge, but the gun enhancements typically don't have anything to do with your intent. They have a crime that's committed with a gun, and that's that. So we and he had a crime committed with a gun. Right. So that's why it was there in the first place, but the prosecutor said no. And so many dummies have been bringing guns, this is CBS talking here, to the airport. The TSA, they intercepted almost 6,600 guns last year. That's a record number. Uh, so far in the past couple of months, uh, in their well, month and a half, they've had 700 at security checkpoints. 92% of them were loaded. Uh, when asked, why did you bring it? Nearly all say they forgot they were packing. Do you often forget you're packing? Uh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> you're packing today? Uh, I forget. <laughs> okay. Stan, you're on the mark. Thanks for calling in.
I agree with CBS News. They're dummies if they're taking guns to the airport when they know they're not allowed to be there unless they're in check baggage going on a trip somewhere. Well, I very rarely carry a handgun, but I do sometimes when we're hunting. And I will tell you, it's not easy to forget. I mean, it's there. You know what? You have it. You have to be safe. You, can't, you shoot animals with a handgun? You can't point anything at it. Or you is that just to can. finish them off? Nope, you can. I'll, I'll bring it in someday. It's 44. Go ahead, Stan. There's just absolutely zero excuse for anybody taking a firearm to the airport when they know 100% they're not allowed there unless they're going on a hunting trip and it's in checked baggage. Okay, forget it. Their excuse of forgetting it. I'm sorry, they're stupid, and they should be prosecuted. I don't care who they are. Now, as far as Baldwin goes, it must be nice to be famous and uh, influential, huh? When you get the gun charges dropped, isn't that another excuse? Actually, what, what, as I understand it, and Mark didn't say it in the story, so maybe I'm wrong, but I heard the story reported this morning that the statute that they charged him with wasn't in force at the time it of the crime. It didn't exist. Right, it didn't exist. So you can't charge somebody with a crime that wasn't a crime when they committed, or when the when the act actually happened. Uh, well, well, they charged him with manslaughter, right? Right, that right, but the gun en- the gun enhancement wasn't in force or wasn't a law. Didn't exist. It didn't exist at the time and in that state at the time the incident uh, occurred. Uh, well, then, then it becomes under federal law because I believe there's federal laws that say that if you're using that for man, you know, you yeah, use but, a gun in in, in a crime, but which this is, manslaughter is a crime, that you are liable under federal law. Maybe the feds need to come in and do some prosecute. Well, I don't think that'll happen under a Biden administration. I fully understand and agree with you, but here again, you know, I I don't care. So you get rid of the gun enhancement charge, but so they're going to give them for a negligent homicide because it was it was negligence on his part and whoever's in charge of the guns. But he was ultimately responsible. But yet again, we're going to let the rich and powerful off. Well, he said he didn't pull the trigger, but the FBI says the gun was tested and it would not go off unless somebody pulled the trigger. All right. One of our good lawyer friends says the only way a gun enhancement would apply, the federal gun enforcement enhancement, is if he had committed a federal crime. Oh, so... Well, the federal crimes, my understanding of the federal laws, (laughs) are if you use the gun in the commission of any crime... The federal law should kick in, and you should be charged federally because there's mandatory minimums on those, you know, under federal law. Well, he hasn't been charged federally yet. Maybe, uh, maybe well, that'll happen. Federal or state, it doesn't matter. There's mandatory minimums on on, on gun crimes, on, on crimes in the use of guns. That's what the book says. Now, if they're just going to apply it to federal law, how many crimes are actually prosecuted by the feds? So, if we're going to, the feds are going to pass these laws. Why bother if they're never going to be enforced? Hmm. Okay. You know, I, I, I'm, just, I'm asking that question because it makes no sense to me. You're going to uh, uh, post, you know, stand down there and crow about, oh, you're passing all these gun laws, you know, but you, you never enforce them because huh, you never charge anybody with federal but crimes, or I, very I, rarely. I think that you're you're, you're kind of mixed up there because the federal. If the federal law affected state crimes, then you'd be right. But I think Mark's correct in that the federal law would only affect federal crimes, not My other crimes. My point exactly. Okay. 
All right, my, we're my, my point exactly. So why bother putting those laws into effect if they're not going to ever use them? But this because is the only time crime. they ever use the federal laws is if they federally prosecute somebody for drug trafficking or terrorism or that kind of stuff. But there's a whole lot of crime going on with people using guns, and they never prosecute them. Yet we're going to crow about it down there in D.C. We're doing something about law uh, gun quote gun crimes. Okay. Yeah, anyway. Right. Yeah, I don't think the feds want to go in and enhance every state law that's out there. They they just enhance federal crimes. There'd be no then need for a state law bother? then. Well, there'd be no need for state laws then. Right. Why would you even have it if a federal, a federal law crime. took the place? Yeah. I think our penitentiaries <laughs> will be a busy place. <laughs> you see, it's a whole convoluted mess, and nothing ever gets done to the scumbags that commit the crime. There we go. They get off light. And there they, it is. The scumbags. Know, and that's, that's exactly the way it works. You plea beat, plea bargain away the gun charges on everything so that they can get a win at the prosecution level. That's all it's about. But we're going to stand there and crow about it all the time. But the law-abiding citizen, every time, all those laws, all they do is affect them and how they can purchase firearms and it restricts their use. Okay. okay. What else? No, I'm, I'm just putting it out there because that's what happened. We got you. And you can see it in the paper. So, anyways, as far as I, I want to ask a question, I don't know if you know the answer because what I've seen is out there in East Palestine, Ohio, they had those rail cars, okay? They they were tanker cars full of chlor... What was it? Chloride? Meth, what, ah. Methyl ethyl bad stuff. No, yeah, well, that too, but it was... a. <laughs> Uh, chloride, uh, yeah, polychloride or stuff, whatever it was. The stuff that they burn off. Now, my understanding is they dug ditches there and released the stuff into those ditches before they lit it off. It wasn't the rail cars that they lit off. They re- released the stuff into these ditches. It, did you see that? I've seen that online. Now, that's why I say, do you know if it happened for sure that way? That's what we were told, that they had to drain it off the cars to avoid an explosion. Mm-hmm. And then they okay. set fire to it in the uh, trenches that they dug. All right, so that's that's fact. Okay, my question is if they're able to drain it off, because that means they had to open a valve somewhere, why not hook a hose to it and put it into tanker trucks and get it out of there as much as possible? They were fighting a fire. They had fire crews there. So obviously they were able to get close enough to those tankers to open them to drain it. Why not cart it, truck it off? So that we do not have the active environmental mess that they have out there. And I don't care what the EPA says when they stir up the creeks out there. When you send up a rainbow plume on the top of the water, there's contamination in those streams. All right, good questions. You'll have to bone up on that. Uh, and if I see anything definitive on all the decision-making out there, we'll keep you posted. Well, there was it, a one it, Ohio I'm, I'm thinking it all comes down to money. And our fine governor here in Pennsylvania and the, and, the, and the governor in Ohio were complicit in that decision. Maybe they were told this is the only way we can do it. I don't know. But they were both complicit in that decision of the environmental catastrophe that's going to be discovered, you know, found out, and it's going to affect these people for years to come. Well, Norfolk Southern says it's there for the long haul. They're going to make it right. <laughs> and compensate uh, yeah. the people. Right. All right, I've heard we stories got you, about what they're doing, so yeah, I doubt it. So, All right, we got you, one. sir. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thanks for calling in. Yep. Bye. Always an enhancement on our show. We appreciate that. Talking about gun enhancements, so we appreciate that. All right, 570-743-9565 is our telephone number. Somebody's dialing it now, but we'll take more comers. 570-743-9565. You can email us at on the 
the mark at WKOK.com or text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. We'll read one email before we take the break. Okay. What are the economic effects of the federal government forcing an unproven technology, wind, solar, EVs, on the country instead of allowing the free market to work? All right. We'll send that to the professor, and we'll see what he's got to say about that. We'll be right back. I looked it up. There is no such an actual thing as a scumbag. It is just a reference to a despicable person. Uh, Wow, you could have a bag full of... I thought there was a bag full of scum somewhere. That they used somewhere. Well, they probably used to use it in the peat bogs. They would gather it up and dry it in a scumbag. So the peat, well, yeah, but the peat wasn't scum, was it? No, scum peat, is well, to me is something is that floats on scum. the top of a river, and they call that scum. Right, and right. peat is that layers and layers of earth. Um, okay, one of our listeners. Says, uh, yes, our friend Tom says the professor is spewing poppycock. This economy is completely controlled by the corporations and big business who have paid our elected leaders off. Time for new leaders. All right, Cindy, you're on the mark. Thanks for calling in. You know, the previous caller, I have reflected upon some of the issues he raised. And here's my question. If you had pumped it out, right, you would have it now in tanker cars, tank trucks, right? And now you would have, if you were the corporation, you would have to dispose of this stuff, whether you could still meet your selling commitment to take it to the place it was destined to when you were shipping it in the first place, or whether you had to go through some uh, shenanigans to uh, dispose of it safely. But this, of course, all rings up cash. Do you hear the meter reading? Ching, 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 ching. Or you could just con the local uh, officials into letting you burn it off, which costs you basically nothing. Secondly, if it's all in tanker trucks, then it can be examined chemically right Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, legal issues or what people are concerned about if you burn it away it's gone Hmm. so then that impedes arguments about what actually was left there so that's how i look on this yeah that that's an interesting take but i i think if you um you know i don't know how close they could get as our prior caller said how how close they could get to open up the cars if you will maybe the cars were leaking i think that was the problem they were leaking but they weren't coming out fast enough and they were concerned that if the heat continued with the leak at its level that it would, cars would eventually explode i i think they were really between a rock and a hard place here well, I think they were fairly creative in their story. That's what I think. Okay, fair that's, enough. That's how I perceive it. And it was awfully expedient that the evidence went up into the atmosphere. That's mm-hmm. very troubling to me. Or but it was c- absorbed down and soaked into the soil. I can't imagine the Environmental Protection Agency would let somebody set fire to dangerous chemicals unless they felt there was no other alternative. They, they, from what I heard, initially, the federal government at every level was a, you know, AOL. There were, they weren't there being in, offering any input at all, that it was state people who were trying to be helpful. And I, I don't know how on the wing, right, you could come up with this is your best plan. Now, I know, for example, when gas pipelines rupture, what they tell them to do, they go up upstream and shut off the pipe. Now the pipe is full of gas, right? And they say, just let it burn till it burns out. And, mm-hmm. and to heck with everybody along that line. You know, you just have to suffer the economic consequences. We saw that out in western Pennsylvania. So I think this is a 
a strategy businesses have put forward, but it isn't necessarily the right or only strategy. Well, I think this is your time, and so same with Stan. This is going to be the most scrutinized uh, disaster probably in history, and in terms of the decision-making, what went into it. So even though now I don't think you or Stan can go online and find answers to your questions, I know in the weeks and months ahead, this is being heavily covered, and I'll bet you'll get your answers. You know, I hope so. You know, I hope so. I understand now they're testing the air in people's homes. Good. I still say Norfolk Southern should draw a magic red circle around that disaster and start cutting checks to buy those people out of that community. That's what they owe the community, in my opinion. All right, we got you. Thank All right, you. thank you so much, Cindy. Much appreciated. Uh, let's see, one of our good uh, listeners talking about the Harrisburg impasse and the extension of lawsuit opportunities that Mark Rosie says is and is the only thing that will make it through Harrisburg this year. Yes, he Rob says, says, Joe and Mark, let's not forget why the abuse amendment wasn't already allowed to be voted on. The Secretary of State and the Wolf Administration was too busy making up voting laws during COVID and missed a deadline to file the amendment to be on the ballot. And that's true. Yeah, you wonder what's the impact of that. That was ready to uh, take its next giant step forward. But I'm, what's his, uh, is it Ro- not Rossi, his name? Uh, Mark Rizzo- Rossi. Rossi. Is the Speaker of the House. Right, okay. So he was abused by a priest in his youth, and I, I think that's why he certainly, this as issue resonates with him. But that's not all the people's business. I mean, I think they, they certainly should be doing something to address that. But that's not the only reason we sent them to Harrisburg. And for him to say that we're going to open up the house for one item only, <laughs> There's a lot of other things that need to be taken care of down there, and I think he should get his head on straight. Right. Well, and I think Democrats are going to have a firm majority now, so that's going Not to firm. It's one vote. Well, it'll be two once they get these other guys okay. sworn in, or women. I don't know who got elected out in Western PA, but in any event, uh, that will solidify you know, the majority that will help when you get these whimsical uh, add-on, like, like deaths and things <laughs> that change the leadership in there. Well, it is terribly short-sighted, but, you know... He said he went to Harrisburg to do one thing and one thing only, and to stand up for victims. All this other stuff about budgets and laws and, you know, Secretary of State uh, conferences you're supposed to be having and uh, to keep elections going. He's not interested in that. He well, just are we wants paying to do one these thing. folks in the meantime? Yes, yes we are. Yes, you We're do pay them, them as much or more than they've ever been paid. They just and I'm sure they're raise. doing staff work about it back at the local level, but they're mm. not doing the legislative job they are hired to do. Well, you know, it's like Professor Rosu, or I'm sorry, scratch that. When David Rowe was here the other week, he said, well, I have this time now at 8.30 in the morning for a half an hour because I don't need to be in Harrisburg. We're not in <laughs> session, you know, so that's happening. All but right, they so should be. We have more messages. Uh, upper right. Oh, we already did we read, read that. that one. Right. All right. We forwarded that to the professor, so hopefully he'll reply. All right. One of our other emailers says, other than paying the debt down, the ineffective way we are doing it now, what we could do is to realistically, no, what could we do? Uh, what could we do to realistically remove a lot of the debt? Could we start on a new monetary type system and flatline our debt, or move to digital money? I'm not certain what effect that would have. Do you? Well, we'll forward that to the professor and see what he says. Yes, yeah, sorry, he had limited time. He was gracious enough to give us a little extra, but uh, we kind of lost our opportunity there. Actually, we could probably do four different programs in a row with Matt. Right. Another person asks. Uh, All right. Please ask the professor what he thinks about about President Johnson's war on poverty. Well, so. that's not exactly recent news. 
Well, but <laughs> that's uh, 19 the impacts of it today. I mean, it's still having an impact to this very day. Well, we have a lot of wars. We have the war on drugs, and you know how well that did. We have the war on poverty, and there's still poor people. Right. So we like to declare war on a lot of inanimate objects. Right, and then we don't don't fix them anyway. All right, there's another one. All right. Uh, always amazes me that Social Security and Medicare are mentioned as looking in to, into, but never a word about welfare, access card-free government, benefits for illegals, billions in foreign aid, and $29 billion to a proxy war in the Ukraine. <laughs> Right, absolutely. That's the point. That's where all our money is going. It's going overseas. All right, now we have an open phone. Five. But, as Matt pointed out, entitlements at some point would have to be looked at because they are taking up a large portion of our budget. You can't say we're going to cut expenses without looking at some way to at least keep the growth from occurring exponentially in those areas. Well, what are the opportunities? What can we do? We've already raised the age of eligibility for Social Security, so that's one tiny tweak. That's what is it now? Some it was 62. Well, you can it? start at 62, but it's only a fraction of what you get if you wait until you're 67, I think, is or Is that it now, or 67 or 68? It's way up. But 65 is just a, still a fraction of what you could get if you wait. But So that's happening. It's based on employer and employee contributions. And there used to be, a, and there still is, a cap. Uh, if you earn above a certain amount, your payroll deductions stop for Social Security. Right, stop going up. Stop. Well, no, they stop. Period. In other words, they, you don't collect anymore. If it's if you pay a minimum of, uh, let's say it's an arbitrary number, five thousand dollars in Social Security contributions. After that, you don't pay. If your salary is high enough, you don't enough, pay more than five thousand. Right, you don't pay more than five thousand. Maybe they need to take that cap right, off of remove there. The, yeah. So there's one thing. So do we want to change the age brackets again? Could we remove the cap? Could we raise the Social Security tax again. That's gone up from time to time. Matt suggested one idea, not specifically advocating for it, would be to reduce the number of cost of living increases so you slowly decrease the value of the Social Security that people are going to receive in the years ahead. But what ahead. does that do? That's, in other words, you're not getting rich on Social Security. Is there waste, fraud, and abuse in Social Security? You Probably. Know, Social Security pays a lot of things that aren't just for retired individuals. They support... Well, that's Medicare. They support the offspring of of uh, dependent dependent right. people who are from uh, you know uh, where a home loses a parent and then they have SSD Social Security disability for people who are younger disabled so is there waste fraud and abuse there you know that's what people talk about mostly for Medicare is uh, just even if only the people who were supposed to get it got it that would help all right so we are talking about the third rail <laughs> of, of American politics. politics right right entitlements we touched it what could be done. Uh, Lawrence's five-point plan is to bump up the ages again, <laughs> raise the Social Security tax, get rid of the cap on Social Security payments, find all the waste, fraud, and abuse in all of the programs, and uh, there's a th uh, That's only element. four. What's yeah, the fifth? The fifth element, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're out of luck, folks. He forgot give, the fifth give, element, yeah, so we're not going to solve this problem. A, a fine local policy, but it didn't work because I couldn't remember the fifth wheel. All right, to be continued, folks, what's your view on these topics? Call us now, 570-743-9565. You can email us at onthemark at WKOK.com. Mm. When car repairs get difficult... Well, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. 
more than quality new and used cars. Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections? Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 630 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the... Mm. Mm. Out of auto repair. Welcome back to WKOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the mark. 570-743-9565. Do you strongly disagree with everything you've heard today? Well, I guess we've heard some opposing viewpoints, so you can't agree with everything. But do you hear anything that you'd like to agree with or disagree with? Uh, give us a buzz. 570-743-9565. You can email us at onthemark at WKOK.com or text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. want to tell you about the Sunbury Motor Company. It's a family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street, Sunbury, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. Uh, they got the Kias on Routes 11 and 15 at Runyon Road. Let's start talking about the Kia Nero, a five-passenger hybrid SUV, 1.6-liter engine. My mower's got a bigger engine than that, but it's a hybrid electric plug-in unit, if you're looking for that, and about 140 horsepower is uh, what it's looking at, so you're not... Did you say Nero or Hero? Nero. As in Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned? <laughs> well, that would be one thing he did, but he did other things, too. He was a good leader until then. Oh, okay. So uh, 43 miles to the gallon, $45,000 top-end price. So you can probably get an entry-level Kia Nero at about $25,000 or so. So they would just love to do business with you. A plug-in hybrid is available. It's got 239-mile range, but, of course, it always got the backup motor, four-cylinder engine to run on. So you can run, you get, well, Let's see, 239, you'd be able to make it to most parts of the Delaware or Jersey Shore. I'm not sure you'd make it to all points on the Delaware Shore for just 230 miles. That's, what, 200 and some? So, in any event, uh, Kia Nero, uh, if you want a new Kia, a new Ford or new Hyundai, go to the Sunbury Motor Company. They will super serve you the way they have millions of people before you. You can uh, make an appointment ahead of time by uh, going at sunburymotors.com. Ask for Jeff. Ernie, Austin, Jason, Chris, Tony, and Alphonse. Ask for all of these guys. So now we're naming cars after emperors of ancient Rome. Right. I can hardly wait for the Caligula right. to come out. I uh, <laughs> I had to re- resort to my notes, but I found 20 things that are good about the U.S. economy. Uh, under the Biden of, administration. Well, yeah, none. That was the proviso, under the Biden administration. Well, they're all under the Biden administration, but I don't think he did anything to make them all happen. But that was your premise, that he did the things, 20 good things I Biden said did. that way. I said there were 20 good things about the economy, period. President Biden happens to be in, but most of these are left over from previous three presidents. Oh, so there are 20 good things that uh, President Trump did for us. Right, exactly. <laughs> Trump and Obama started some of these things, and okay. uh, Biden didn't stop them all. First of all, gas prices are down. Job unemployment levels way low. The workage shortage is easing slightly, and it's no longer getting worse. Inflation has eased slightly, but still is ridiculously high. But it's down, so that's good news. Home prices have stabilized. Used car prices have stabilized. New car prices are up, which is good if you're a car dealer or a car company. Re- 
Retail sales are way up. We heard that. CPI is in the black, so that's good. Uh, let's see. Uh, pandemic is easing. Uh, supply chain is easing. Uh, participation is up very slightly, so at least it's not plummeting anymore. Uh, let's see. Interest rates are still relatively low, although obviously higher than a year ago. Uh, let's see. Pennsylvania's corporate net income tax is going down, and that's just Republicans in Harrisburg. Oh, yeah. That. These are federal things, not oh, state things. Oh, you can't use state things? No, you can't use state that, things. That bonked one out, I think. All right. What uh, number see. you add out of curiosity? You uh, didn't number them. Probably 15 or so. Okay. We are not in a recession right now, if you look at the typical uh, indicator. Uh, let's see. We still have a strong dollar overseas. Consumer spending is still strong. Wages are up slightly. Uh, let's see. Uh, business startups are continuing to grow, according to some of our good guests who have been Actually, on the show. consumer spending is not up, is it? Yes. Yep. The With inflation? CPI came out on Friday. All right. Well, how, uh, how high? How high? 2% or something. is yeah, not ridiculous not really or anything. But, okay. uh, but people are still spending. Recession is when they stop. Okay, right. So I that's understand that. Yet. Thank right. you, Professor. And, and finally, the <laughs> insane government spending has stopped for the moment. You know, there's infrastructure packages and stimulus packages under the past two administrations that even our good professor, who's a conservative, said started and got the ball rolling under the Trump administration. That has subsided for the moment. Well, just give them a chance. Yeah, they haven't borrowed out. a trillion dollars this week. Is that a claim to fame to put on your bumper sticker? Well, I didn't waste a trillion dollars this week. I don't know, but I was at the gas pump yesterday at a local uh, gas station, and I looked up at the uh, prices, you know, as it escalates as you're pumping mm-hmm. gas, right. and there was a little picture of Joe Biden with his finger pointing, saying, I did that. Oh, brought down prices? Yeah. No, no. He, they, he raised them. Oh. <laughs> so you're going to take the sticker off as prices go down? But they're not going down. It's going up again this past week Mm-mm. it's a uh, well, maybe where you're shopping three six, gas buddy 365 says, what's statewide it? is down three cents a gallon but that means nothing and it has absolutely nothing to do with joe biden anyway well he says it does when prices go down joe biden did it okay. when prices well, go up it was donald trump joe biden is a demented <laughs> old fool well okay. thank you Let's this is a wonderful acknowledgement now we can start on a new premise tomorrow we've had two demented old <laughs> fools in a row we need a real president we need a new generation unless you ask non lemon and he will say that women are past their prime after they're 30. Oh, yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about Don Lemon. No, he's supposed to be coming back tomorrow. I can hardly wait to see that. CNN says they are going to educate him. Well, that's going to take one hell of an effort. (laughs) It's going to take more than a day. This is WKOK Sunbury.